This is the Women with Vision podcast, where we get real with some of the leading entrepreneurial superwomen about what it takes to build a business online and beyond with kids, husbands, and everything else. Hey there, superwomen. I am so excited today to have my next guest. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, founder of Your Change Provider, PLLC, an interdisciplinary practice founded on solution and cultural confidence. I love this so much. Oh my God, I can't even, I can't even stand it. Jeannie Chang, I cannot wait to have this conversation. How are you? Me too. I'm super excited. Super excited to be here. Yes. Well, first of all, we could go there with the whole, you know, mental health, good, good well-being around cultural confidence. I mean, this is really deep, right? And so let's start off with why you wanted to be a licensed family marriage th- therapist in the first place. Yes. Uh, great question. It's a loaded question. So I'll do my best to answer that. I will say that mental health being in the field of mental health found me. Mm-hmm. It was not something I planned. So Going back, I would say I have a diverse career path, starting as a journalist, broadcast journalist. So I feel like they all connect, by the way, because obviously I'm a speaker now, so it all relates. But if you had told me at age 18 that I was going to be in mental health, I'd be like, what? And so it's just, that's why I say it found me. My career path led me here. I started off as a journalist and was practicing mindfulness and very cognizant of my own mental health, my well-being, my happiness, all the things I work with my clients today mm-hmm. to lead me to this point. And motherhood had a lot to do with it. So that that identity, I always say, tell people identity is very fluid. You're constantly changing. So I thought I was going to be the number one Asian American journalist. That was my goal. Yeah. But through it, I will say I loved the job. But when I left the job, actually, actually when I would come home from work, I felt very empty. And I remember thinking, um, this doesn't make sense to feel so empty because my identity is wrapped up in a job. And that has a lot to do with my Asian upbringing. I'm second generation Korean American and everything was about success, achievements, mm-hmm. doing well, looking good. And it hit me like a ton of bricks at like the ripe old age of 24 <laughs> that I was going to burn out and I was not going to be able to sustain myself. And that was early on that I realized that. So I was very keen on my mental health then. And flash forward, I mean, having four kids in the midst of parenting, I came into the field of mental health based on everything I'd been through and what I found I was good at, which is counseling, advising, supporting, empowering. And, but then I also had a keen interest on mental health, well-being, the brain and, and having that science background growing up with the father for, you know, doctor for a father. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go, I went to business school, by the way, I went to business school in between. That's another story, but I was trying to find myself. Yeah, of course. And then after business school and having kids, I I asked myself this main question, what am I passionate about? What's going to sustain me? Even if it's a job, what will sustain me that I keep going because I believe in it. And it came to me at 2am and I woke up with a jolt, like, oh my gosh. And it was to go into counseling, but I did my research and I really didn't want to just go to any counseling. I was like, what really speaks to me? There are many different types of counseling and then therapy. And I landed on marriage and family therapy because I'm a systems thinker. It's very systemic about the family unit, Mm -hmm. having four kids, a husband, I have a pretty big family. Everything was surrounded by the family. So it really spoke to me. And I went to graduate school, um, with four young kids. Uh, That was like a fog, but it was, (laughs) (laughs) I survived it. 
because I knew that I I was meant to do it. And in graduate school, I loved it. And let me tell you, graduate school for therapy was my therapy. I actually discovered myself in grad school and I went, okay, it's not, you know, people say I should have done this sooner. Actually, I never said that. I said, well, I'm meant to do this now. This is timing for now. And then I pursued it. And here I am an entrepreneur with my own practice and practicing um, therapy. So that's the, that's the brief version of my story, but yeah, it, it is my passion and a lot is wrapped up in my own identity as an Asian American. Yeah. That's amazing. And you also founded the national self-care and wellness program, which I think you are collaborating with uh, national association of Asian American professionals. Right. And, and also for the council of Korean Americans, under the yeah. title building resilient leaders. So, I mean, you really have taken on understanding the role of mental health and mental care, uh, mental fitness, all these different ways you can put it, you mm-hmm. know, in the Asian American or how it's wrapped up and how it, it the cultural norms and cultural pressures really affect you. Yes. I love that you said that. Um, you know, you read my bio br- real briefly. I, my practice is founded in cultural confidence Mm-hmm. If you've heard the term, there's a term called cultural or multicultural competence. Yes. That is a practice, right? And it's it's the awareness and acceptance of other cultural views and perspectives and understanding people through them. Well, cultural confidence is my framework. It's what I'm rooted in. And it came about with my work in therapy. And, and I it's the phrase that came by mistake, actually. I was working with college students in a workshop. I was speaking about cultural competency. But the word that came out of my mouth by mistake, everything is a mistake here, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> I said cultural confidence and I was about to correct myself going, oh, wait, ooh, I didn't mean that. And then I went, you know what? I hesitated because I read the room. Yeah. I call it nunchi. Nunchi in Korean means I measure. Mm-hmm. I kind of looked around the room and thought and saw bright eyes staring back at me, waiting eagerly to understand what cultural confidence was. They were excited. Language is very powerful in mental health and saying the word confidence already exudes a certain emotion, right? And so that was the birth of cultural confidence, which is a framework. Unlike, I'm not saying I'm, I'm a cultural competency is incorrect, but it doesn't focus on your, on your emotions. It doesn't Mm -hmm. focus on healthy emotionality, which is the core of my work Mm -hmm. and it addresses mental health identity or intersects mental health, identity, resilience, and mindfulness. All the core themes that I see in families, individuals, organizations, Asian American populations, all diverse minority ethnic populations. And that's how it came about, but it's promoting healthy emotionality. Wow. So going back to the cultural norms, I also unplanned did not plan to work mainly with Asian Americans, but that's, it happened because as I was building my practice, more Asian Americans were, were seeking me out. Representation, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Representation is key here. They were looking for someone that looked like them to help them understand their experiences. And they're coming into therapy, which is a big deal for Asian Americans. Yeah, by it, the is. Way. it is. It's mm-hmm. a stigma. But then coming in saying, hey, she's Asian. She probably gets it. And I do for the most part, right? Understanding immigrant experiences. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the child of an immigrant parents, right? And so the cultural norms, I bring it up flat out saying, yeah, saving face, the, the stigma of talking about your emotions. You're not supposed to do that. You're just supposed to be stoic, silent. There's a lot of suppression and repression in our culture. Mm-hmm. And the big thing is just feeling like you have to be a certain way. 
all the time. Yeah. And saving face is really big. They, they'd like to, it's not about hiding problems. It's just about making sure that no one knows that something's wrong, mm-hmm. but that's not healthy. No, and first of all, that's not normal of <laughs> because course. normally it, stress is normal. It's part of life. So I do a lot of that normalizing and destigmatizing in my work, especially with Asian Americans because of that, those cultural norms, what I call a culture, I call those acculturative stressors, the stressors of our culturation experience coming into the US or whatever country we've acculturated from, I acculturated from Korea, right as a baby, but my parents were older. And so their struggle was that saving face. And then that that trickled that trickled to me. And I was like, Oh, I felt this need to hide um, a lot of anxiety growing up, which a child should never do that. Mm -hmm. It's it's very hard. And so that stress growing up, and like I said, loving family, but when you can't openly express that you're worried about something yeah. or something stressing you out, or you're sad, or you're even happy, you can't even do that. You're just supposed to just be. And that's also why I'm so passionate about helping you know families and parents and teens navigate through that. Because again, for healthy emotionality, to promote good mental health, you need to be able to express your emotions and yeah. be real. I have a question. This is related to Asian American friend of mine, Korean American girlfriend who was a Korean adoptee who came to this country. And she has struggled with mental health issues um, as a result of being raised, you know, a certain way. And then, you know, I'm sure something wasn't connecting for her being in the Midwest and, and she still struggles. She went into social, social work and stuff like that, but she still struggles, I think. Uh, And when I heard you say cultural, confidence, right? Then I'm thinking, whoa, that's pretty deep. You know, Uh, I even know, you know, I would say even because I'm married into um, my husband's Chinese and, and I, and that, that cultural confidence that like with, I'm being African-American, there's a certain amount of cultural confidence that I have, right? In myself, I'm American, I'm black. I mean, that's everything. There's a lot of confidence wrapped up in my culture, but I can see where that's not the same always depending on the situation with immigrants. So tell me a little bit more about that. Do you, do you work with, um, how to bring more confidence to them? How, how, what, what is the process? Sure. And, 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 and so it's, it's both literal, but also I would say metaphorical or figurative confidence, obviously just saying it, I want to build or I want to empower people to be like, oh, yeah, I do need to show confidence in cultural, but in everything, everything I do. And yeah. that word, holding your head up high, the American term of, come on, you can do this. It's not necessarily so in the in the Korean culture or Asian culture. It's mm-hmm. much more like looking down, mm-hmm. being humble um, to the point to, to a fault, actually, like not you're not supposed to be talking about your achievements. And there's a difference between boasting and arrogance, you know, right. But there's also proudness or, or fi- finding proud in the work you do, especially as an entrepreneur, when you're, you're constantly having to self-motivate. Yes. And so the language I use there is for that very reason from the get-go to instill some sort of positive emotion. And then how it works is basically mental health. I have to do in my job, I have to do so much education. I call it psychoeducation mm-hmm. on what mental health is. There mm-hmm. is a difference between mental health and mental illness. People still correlate the two thinking they're the same when they're not. And mm-hmm. so that's where some of the stigma stems from. Yeah. When people are like talking about mental health, they really mean the health of their mind, how stressed they are, how, how sad they are, depending on what's going on in their life. Mental illness is a whole nother ball game. It's yes. there. It is part of what I do, but 
again, mental health, mental illness is a diagnosis of a mental health disorder. But mm-hmm. when I talk about mental health, I'm talking about every day, something that we think about our emotional, psychological, yeah. social well-being. Mm-hmm. So that's part of that mental health. And then I intersect it with identity because I have found in my work, especially being product of immigrant families, Asian American, Latin, Latinx, uh, African American, doesn't matter where you have certain experiences that uh, I would say impact how you think about things, your mm-hmm. beliefs, your perspectives, and you start questioning, wait a second, who am I? Right. right. And we have, a, we all have that. Who am I experience? Mm-hmm. But when it relates to a culture, it can be very confusing because we're taught to say certain things and be a certain way. And I want to talk about the model minority, mm-hmm. uh, I, the model minority myth, the stereotype given to Asians. And by the way, specifically East Asians, yes. because I want to be clear, Asians, it's a big, very diverse population. Very diverse. Yeah, we are not the same, even mm-hmm. amongst Korean Americans, they're all different, but yet we're still seen as the same. And that's not some of the, I guess, some of the, um, the frustration with the AAPI community, the Asian, Asian American Pacific Islander community, where they're like, Hey, they put us in a box and then we have this pressure or we feel like we're a certain way. And we have to defend ourselves going, um, yeah, just cause I'm Asian doesn't mean I'm good at math. You know? Right. 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 And so I fought a lot of those and I would say them now, um, microaggressions growing up about things that I should say, how I should be. So over the course of time in my work, it just happened to be, like I said, people coming to me, hearing about my work and not planned to be like, I really want to work with the Asian American population, but a lot of the cultural stressors I experienced growing up became very relatable to the sense that I realized the strength I had as a clinician where it was twofold. Number one, I relate to second generation Asian Americans today because they are having the same experience that I did. Mm -hmm. But I also relate to their immigrant parents because I'm a parent. Number yes. one. And number yeah. two, I grew up with American parents. So I see both sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I tell them this. I'm like, by the way, I'm not taking your parents' side, but this is probably how they're feeling. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps me be, like I said, relatable. And they're like, all right, Jeannie gets it. And th- that's probably why I see that part of my practice booming. And mm-hmm. I don't just do therapy, I do workshops. That's where mm-hmm. I really reach a global audience where I'm teaching specifically teaching them skills, how to talk to their parents, how to parents to help parents can talk to their kids. Yeah. It's not easy. And it will like your friend, it does trigger me at times. Yeah, it will remind me some of the stressors I grew up with. And I, I have to really be that non anxious presence and work hard and be like, okay, I'm not going to get irritated by the dad that just said that to the teenage daughter, because that's what my dad used to say. Does that make sense? Right. So I, I'm very good about okay, so dad, you need to set, tell your daughter you, you love her. You just literally graced over everything. She just told you she was depressed and you just went, well, I don't care about that. You're supposed to do on school. Right. I was, so I really am good at calling things out, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I work hard at it. Wow. What do you think your biggest hurdle has been personally, like growing up? Personally, mm-hmm. um, and still now that I work every day, I call myself fondly, uh, tiger mom 2.0 because I grew up with tiger parents, right. Uh And you know, that, that, uh, that strict authoritarian upbringing of my way or the highway, you got to be this way. It was the way that I was brought up, Mm -hmm. but this is why I tell people identity is important. You can't just throw away your past, no matter how difficult 
It is part of who you are. Deciding to trash it completely actually is saying, hey, I don't like who I am. But part of that past builds your future. You just have to decide what you want to do with it. So I chose to not embrace tiger mom, but go, you know what? I know that I grew up as a tiger under a tiger mom. So some of that's in me, you know, cause I'm it's learned behavior. And I see it come out with my own kids where I'm like, um, yeah, could you have done better grade? I mean, sometimes I'll say that. I'll be like, what did I just say? Tiger mom does not say it like that. Tiger right. mom 2.0 says, great. An A minus is awesome. You know, right. I, I just think you can do better, but A minus is great. And you know what? How are you feeling? Right. So I'm talking about the difference that, that I work hard with is I focus on my kids' well-being. Yeah. I'm not saying parent my parents did not. It's just that they didn't know how to ask those questions. Right. I ask questions like, what's stressing you out? You look upset. You know, are you sad? You know, as COVID-19 was really hard, right? So I asked my college kids, it must be depressing to be living with your parents right now. <laughs> like, uh, but I'm able to use those words that I don't think my p- parents knew of. And that yeah. really stifled me. And my kids are able to make, yeah, it's depressing living with you. I mean, that, that's not what I wanted them to say. Right, but right. <laughs> and right. so I work hard to not take those behaviors I learned from my parents and modify them, but also know that that's part of who I am. So I fight them daily. So it's hard work. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. A work in progress. Wow. Yes. What are some, um, some challenges that you've had to work through and your other challenges? You, I know you had mentioned before about, um, that you faced a, a, a work opportunity and mm-hmm. that was something you had to kind of work through. Yes. So that's a, it's a tricky, um, situation that happened in the last uh, two and a half years that really taught me something. I understood the the term workplace abuse. I'm just going to say that it has made me a better clinician. This is why I want to be clear, understanding abusive situations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are like, okay, couldn't the person see that they're, this is happening to them? Not necessarily. Just because you're in it doesn't mean you really see what's going on. So I'm, I'm being very vague, but what I'm trying to say was a very toxic work environment, mm-hmm. but I also fault it to myself. I chose to take the job because it had a title and it came with a responsibility that I thought, oh, that makes me sound good. Ooh, right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. yeah. I want to brag about that to my Asian family. Right? right. And I did brag about it. But at the cost was I decided not to see any of the red flags because I was all about the title. And that I want to share my friends is because of my own struggle of my Asian upbringing to, to, to achieve, right. And to look good and have this title and be so honored and revered for what I'm doing instead of who I am. And so I chose that. And it was the 14 months of such toxicity that I had to literally step back and realize I myself was suffering from situational depression during that time, Mm. because I was stifled from being who I was. Uh, A lot of things were against my core values. So I I did leave that job. But what it left me, I will share is physical, I literally was physically ill from that job for about three or four months. So I tell people, your emotional well being, your mental well being will affect you physically. Yeah. So all of it, mind, body, soul relates, you need to take care of your mental health as a priority, just as you do your physical health, or everything goes to pot. And that's what happened to me. But that's okay. Because guess what, it's made me stronger as the clinician and propelled me to put, put all hands on deck in my own practice, yeah. which I was dabbling in for like two, three years. I was like, maybe I'm an entrepreneur. This feels, mm, does it feel? And then I decided, you know what? No, 
fine. I'm going to be my own boss and yeah. I will become an entrepreneur. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. I, I've, I've dealt with the same kind of thing before. Yes. And it's amazing how, man, you know, I was so busy defining myself by my job and my title. And, and, um, you know, I've talked about this many times about how I had my mother, when my mom passed away, she took a lot of that away from me. She took a lot of this. I don't care what people think anymore, but for a long time I did a mm -hmm. long time I did. And I had to go through the same thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What inspires, <laughs> what inspires you or keeps you inspired? What keeps me inspired is honestly being rooted and reminding myself because being in mental health, I make it sound like it's so exciting. It's very difficult work. And sometimes the things I hear are taxing and the things I can deal with can be very taxing. But what roots me and keeps me inspired is changes that I see in a family. Mm -hmm. And that literally I could see one small change, like a dad saying something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that just made my life. Right. Let me share why. You know, my the title of my, or the name of my practice is Your Change Provider. Oh, I like I it. I like to provide change. Right? Mm -hmm. I love providing change. And so when I see even simple changes, because I look for them, that's the whole point of why you come to me for change in your life. That's yes. what I believe. Mm -hmm. So when I see that, I'm like, you know what? Okay, that just made the past four years worth it. Right. That's what sustains me: being able to engage people to change for change, for healthier families and emotional well-being. So good. So very good. Oh my God. What advice would you give to someone who was, you know, they were struggling with some cultural things, you know, growing up, they had some things that, you know, they're not super confident or, you know, they have some mental wellness that they need to work on. Mm -hmm. What would you say the first thing they should do? Well, the first thing I would say is I hope that they would ask me because I never like to give that unsolicited. Yeah. You know what you need to, you know, that kind of thing. You know I I, I'm always very you know, have you talked to somebody? Yeah, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm a therapist, so you could even help. Yeah. That's the most, I don't think that's productive because someone has told me that once too, before I became a therapist, I thought that was very, it can be very jarring and you get very defensive. Yeah. So someone has to be ready for change. I always say that, but when someone is ready for change and they're actually like, I, you know, I want to work on my past. I'm very triggered. I have this trauma. I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Anyways, no, I was going to say the main thing I, I'd like to share is the fact that they have come to a point of accepting that they need some help or they want some help. So this is what I actually say. The number one thing I already said it to you that I, it's a quote that I have that comes from me saying, accepting the imperfections of your cultural heritage is just the beginning of transforming your life. You have to accept them. That doesn't mean you embrace them and say, hey, cool, I had a traumatic past. No, I'm saying you got to accept what happened. Then we can heal. Yeah. Then we can work on forgiveness or whatever that looks like. And then you can define your current identity in that realm for the future you want. So I always say accepting cultural imperfections. There are imperfections in any culture, right? Not yeah. just Asian culture, but I do say that's step one. And then the other thing is honestly, understanding that identity, people want identity to be like final. Hey, this is who I am. So be it. I'm Jeannie Chang. I want to say identity is never final. 
You're yeah. always changing. So understanding life and, and times of adversity, resilience and, and practicing mindfulness, always being constantly aware of the present and what you can control is all part of the identity journey. So you're always changing. Hence my, you know, the title of my practice yeah. change. I always feel like change is always happening for growth and that's necessary. doesn't mean that you're going to, by the way, always accept it. The first response to change is resistance. Mm -hmm. So no one's going to be like, Hey, I want change. No, the first response is resistance. But I always like to say that you're, you're fluid, you're fluid. You're that's why I say I'm a work in progress. WIP. So I I say the same thing, but, um, and then finding passion, honestly. And by the way, I, I tell 18 year olds to 60 plus year olds, your passion can shift too. you're, you just because we, at 18, you're supposed to be like, I'm going to do this. It can change in five years, depending on what, what you're going through with your life. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. This has been so good. I'm sure that people are listening to this and they're thinking, oh my goodness, I need to find Cheney. I need to ch- follow her. I need to reach out to her. So if you're listening and you really want to, you know, find your change provider, how do we find you? Sure. You can find me on, yes, I did the thing. I'm on social media. So you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, sorry, Instagram and Facebook as your change provider. And I'm on LinkedIn as Jeannie Chang and your change provider. So reach out to me. And of course, my website, yourchangeprovider.com. Not hard to find. But Not hard to find. I love, I love, I love hearing from people. Um, yeah, all the time. So reach out. Awesome, Jeannie. This has been great. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. I look forward to all the stuff they're going to be doing in, in the future. Super excited. Thank you, Tam.